Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukara, with my fabulous guest, Dr. Sharna Prasad, Doctor of Physical Therapy, one of my favorite people in the world who is a fantastic clinician and a fantastic pain clinician. And on today's episode, what we're going to be talking about is the struggles that we see colleagues and clinicians have when we're trying to incorporate a pain-centric view into a clinical practice. So, hey, Sharna, great to have you back on the show. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for that enthusiastic introduction. I think um, I am who I am because of you, um, and we can talk about that later, but uh, we've talked about it a lot. Um, so you said, um, what are my colleagues struggling with? I think if I had to narrow it down to one sentence, um, it would come to that um, tissue issues, you know, that um, how can we understand that pain is not coming from tissue damage? That that just does not make sense. So that, that's one thing. And I think the second one is um, manual therapy. Of mm -hmm. course, mm -hmm. that manual therapy, we've learned that manual therapy makes things better. Um, what do you mean by, um, you know, uh, that just stick to the active approaches and manual therapy is not that effective. Uh, and, you know, we get into a little debate on that, that it's not that manual therapy is not effective. It's just the reasons why you think they're not, you know, it's like you're, you're releasing the fascia and, you know, fixing the um, facet joints and, you know, those kind of things we get into a little discussion with. Yeah, the, the reasons why it could yeah. potentially be effective is not the reasons that we are typically presenting. And, mm -hmm. it, and it's kind of interesting because um, we are in different fields, and yet I we would be categorized, I think, from a kind of insurance and a healthcare system standpoint as being in physical medicine. Now, mm -hmm. if you're a clinician, listen to this, and you're like, "Well, physical medicine—that's a whole field of medicine." Well, yeah, but when you're when you're looking at the big picture, they they typically will divide how we care for people, and this is a really stupid way to do it, by the way. But this is how it's done into the physical side. In the mental health side mm -hmm. and what, what you are talking about with your colleagues in physical therapy that they're struggling with well this doesn't make sense like how we're supposed to talk about this when there's a quote-unquote tissue issue and, and feeling so strongly attached to a particular therapeutic modality is actually really common in physicians as well now mm -hmm. the number one thing i see with physicians struggling with is this exact same thing they're like oh i get the pain i get the pain but this you know this is acute pain which means it's it it doesn't matter anymore or, or, you know, it's different than the, than the chronic pain. That stuff does in the brain. But this, this acute pain is always about it's tissue damage. In fact, yeah. that's how we're going to classify it. It's acute nociceptive exactly. pain. Um, and then I think also on that side, we're also, we're, we are really um, attached to the things that we do. So you mm -hmm. guys have manual medicine. On our side, we have these injections and the drugs and all the do stuff. And, and so we are tied to that Some specialties more than other mm -hmm. as a part of our professional identity so uh, yeah I, I definitely agree with you that that's a that's a huge struggle and I think it's um I don't actually now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, I don't think it's necessarily confined to just the physical side though what do you think um you mean just it's not confined to the physical side of like the physical therapist or the, the phys uh, you know physical side being physical anybody who does like the the direct physical, kind of therapy yeah. so physical therapies clinicians um you know occupational therapists are kind of straddling that role and what i was i was kind of alluding to is the behavioral health specialist 
Oh, so they, they have the other problem. Uh, the behavioral health, well, the way I see it, their issue uh, or some of their issue is they struggle with the bio part of it because I, I don't know how, what their training is, but they'll struggle with all oh, the patients telling us that they have arthritis and they have a disc herniation. Well, we're, we don't know what to do with that. So we're going to send them to the physical people. So they lack that space, you know, that, that physical um um, science is what I would say. And in our physical therapy world, we, we miss the, the mental health part, the behavioral part. We are, we're like, well, what do you mean? You're going to talk to these patients? That's all you did is talk to the patient. And, and that, that part becomes a little tricky that can we do both? Can we, can we, you know, find a cool balance that we've got the behavioral aspects as well as the physical aspect and just give what the patient needs rather than fighting to our turf, you know? Well, and I, and I, I think it's actually, it's just the, the, the same coin on the opposite side, right? Because it, it's all coming down to this idea that somehow acute pain is fundamentally different than, than chronic pain. Yeah. And so the behavioral health, mental health side that I've seen is they're typically like this. Yeah. It, I, I'm scared to do anything as long as I think that there's something physical wrong with this patient. And I, I would continue to argue that that comes down on both sides from a fundamental misunderstanding of pain. Yep. That if yep. you, and I know we've talked about this many times, but if you get it and it clicks, yep. you don't see this dichotomy anymore. Mm -hmm. You just see pain. Mm -hmm. So um, <laughs> I don't, maybe we could explore that a little more because I'm sure someone's listening to this going, what the, you know. You guys are crazy. What are you talking, what about? Are you talking yeah. about? And oh, pain's my pain's this, and and it's different, and blah blah blah. Mine's real. This is fake. Blah, you know, whatever. So what? When you when you are confronted by that, because I know you've said this quite a bit with your colleagues, and and you're just like, it's just pain, and you're not minimizing it. But what we're doing is is we're categorizing it appropriately. How do you kind of introduce that with your your with your with your colleagues that maybe. I'm going to say, and that are interested in hearing what you have to say, not the ones that are resistant, but the ones that are like, you know, Sharna, I see what you're doing and I see the connections you have with your, with your, with your clients and your patients. I, how could you, you know, what can I do? How can I, how can, how can learning this stuff help me? So what I have found with my, my colleagues is they, um, the, the cute part, they'll never come to talk to me about because they know it. <laughs> they, they, they know that part. And I, I'm totally okay with it. I'm not trying to um, do anything about that. It's like, I've got that. It's only the chronic pain patients where that they would be struggling with. They'll, they'll talk, bring it to me and talk about that because acute pain, they've got it. They've got these tests. They know how to do that. You know, this is what they were taught in, you know, sports medicine, the orthopedic, um, you know, certification. They, they've got all that. So they're not worried about that. But when I bring the concept that, you know, wait, pain, the definition of pain is blah, blah, blah. They're like, yeah, yeah, but this is different. <laughs> and then that's the same thing that applies to our patients also. You know, they'll come to you and say, but, but my pain is different. What you're talking about is degenerative disc disease. Well, my pain is totally different and I have this diagnosis. So that part has been, you know, I think we're getting there, but we're not there. We're nowhere close to being there. But but the conversation is starting. And what I'm noticing it in my group class, the MAPS class, the patients are getting it better than the clinicians are. So it's really exciting to see that happen more and more and more. 
Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. And for those of you who may not have heard, because um, I know we've talked about maps on episodes, but I, but uh, that could have been a long time ago. Oh, sorry, I. But uh, so for those of yeah. you who may, who may be con- who may be confused, the the maps program is movement, mindfulness, and pain science. Is class that Sharna co-founded. It's in Lebanon, Oregon, right now. Um, really fantastic. Some, we'll have to get some of the participants who've been through that program on some point. I know I've I've, I've had them on previously, but it's always good to have people with that lived experience on the show. Um, but that's it. That's an interesting point that you're seeing your clients get this connection sooner than the clinicians do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have some suspicions why that may be, but I'd be interested on, do you have any observations about that or, or, or hypotheses on why that might be? Oh, I, I, it come, I think it boils down to their belief system. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, we were talking about this exact same topic of tissue issues um, in our class. It was our fifth class, and we, they had, you know, they had the pain triangle information. You know, they had some, some of the basics initially, and so this was our fifth class, and we introduced the concept of um, tissue damage is not pain and how they're different contributors to the pain experience and not necessarily causes. So we were talking about that. So one of our patients said in the in the class that. Um, so Shona, my doctor and my CAT scan has sh- shows that I have bone on bone. And um, so I cannot think my way into growing cartridge in there. And, and there's no way I can. I'm like, you're absolutely right. You cannot grow. You cannot think your way into growing cartridge. So I, I walked up to her and I said, here, put your hand on my knee because my knee is bone on bone. I have severe arthritis in my knee and it's got a very noisy knee. And I said, here, put your, hand, put your hand on that. And I stood up a couple of times and she could feel it. And she said, yeah. And I said, you know, my mom has that too. But my mom's had multiple surgeries. But I, I'm not going to have surgery. At least I hope I never have to have surgery. But I exercise and I load it and I do these things. You cannot grow the cartridge. But what you can do is create synovial fluid in there. And then I use the analogy of a door hinge. It's like, you know, what, what happens to a door if it's a noisy door and it opens and closes? It says, well, it needs grease. So it needs WD-40. I said, well, our body is so amazingly made that it produces its own synovial fluid, its own WD-40. And then I make sure I tell them that don't go and buy WD-40 because that's not going to work. So, and, and that was such a big shift because at the end of the class, I asked them, so give me one word you feel uh, emotionally after this, you know, class. And um, that particular patient said, hopeful. And that to me meant everything that, you know, whatever we, we were sharing got it. So I felt really good about that part. But the, but the therapists are a whole different ball game because like you said, they're coming with their own belief system. They're coming with their own training. They have thousands and thousands of dollars on off loan and they're saying you're telling us that our program that we paid so much for did not give us up-to-date information so it's it's a big um it's a big problem you know we're dealing with lots of beliefs with the therapist so it's a lot harder to go through the clinician than it is to go through the patient well you touched on it It, beliefs are so so key um and I, I do think when, when I mention that, I'll, I'll say if there's nothing more, there's nothing stronger than the power of belief. And it sounds so woo, but 
belief drives so much and it has such this tight realm with behavior and when it comes to pain it truly is everything again pain period folks not acute chronic it's just pain I mean, we have data. We know we have actually uh, research studies, really well-designed research studies, that how you manipulate what you believe to be true about either your pain or, quote-unquote, the cause, like what it's associated with, has a significant impact on your overall experience of it. Um, now, m one, of, one of the things I'm kind of interested in, though, is particularly with the maps, is when we're talking about like the pain triangle and we're talking about how pain is constructed, because every pain is unique to the individual one of the things what i think that when clients tend to get it is because they see the dots right when we're talking about well if you're if you're under stress or if you're having this your pain flares you know it can right and, and we're moving into to those threats and stressors that are non-physical based ones mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they can see the light bulbs go off like yep. oh wait a second yeah when my back pain flared and I hadn't been quote unquote doing anything, my abuser or my mother-in-law that I can't stand or the father-in-law or the sister that I struggle with came into town or I heard that they were coming into town and say so they can put those dots together, things that we as clinicians certainly aren't gonna be aware of, especially if we don't ask. But I, I'm, I'm just kinda, you know, when people, I, I, I just, I think that, that clients that start making that shift it becomes a little bit easier for them to see how this stuff connects because they have the big picture that we'll not see. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I know yeah. that. Um, and then on the clinician side, I, I, you know, that's the, I, I honestly, there's a lot of people running around who say they're quote unquote pain specialists and compare it back the words. But one of the little tests, I have all these little observations I look, I look for to hear and resonate like, okay, do they truly believe in the science of pain or are they just knowledgeable about uh -huh. the science of pain and one of the biggest ones i see is when it comes to their own their own pain their own personal experiences like i i've had them and i've seen them and i and i've tried to like gently poke people it's like oh yeah i teach this stuff blah 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 blah. and then all of a sudden they're i'll never forget this was a couple of years ago and someone's like oh i have big you know back pain and it's got to be this i'm sure it's the disc and then this was supposed to be a pain specialist in a pain group and the entire string of replies was all biomechanically oriented which yep. from my standpoint is a you are not embodying what you're saying and b how sort of insulting is it i mean that's the, the other part and you know i sometimes get a little upset about this stuff but somehow we then as clinicians will push it off and say well our pain is now different than our clients uh -huh. that ours is all physical and theirs somehow isn't um, and it's really, it's really upsetting to me. And, um, I, I don't know, I, like, uh, when you see a clinician change though, holy moly, you know, yeah. I, I, so yeah. I, I just, a, just a reminder for folks or for, for your practice now where you are, you have such, you embody pain, like you, and yeah. not, not, in, and not in this way that pain is this horrible thing, but understanding it, how has your practice changed? Like how, like, let's talk about different clients that you have. We'll talk about an, an acute one, and we'll talk about maybe a persistent issue. But how has that changed the spectrum of your practice? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to use an example of my own pain. Recently, I had um, I was having some stressors at work um, that was going on, and I had an argument with my husband over something, some silly thing. And I came upstairs, and I bent down to pull a book, 
and I had this severe back pain and I literally had a lateral shift and I'm like oh my gosh I can't believe this happened and was getting ready to go to work and I, it was I was just it was locked in and I was like okay Sharna get back to your triangle what else is going on you've been stressed about this the conference we were planning the conference the conference stresses are being high you uh, had an argument with Robbie. That was the tip that just tipped it. I think it was just something very stupid that, you know, I think you should cook this versus this. It was just some, <laughs> you know, husband wife um, uh, annoying, um, you know, argument we had. But I realized that it had tipped the scale and, and my body was just, you know, shifted. And I had to do all my exercises. I kept saying, okay, Sharna, you're okay. Um, you know, there's a very large emotional component to this. You, your thought processes are huge. And this is just a body sensation. It's a spasm. It's going to go away. Sure enough, I, you know, 24 hours later, I was fine doing everything. I went for a long walk. I, you know, just went through the whole thing. So that was my cute pain. <laughs> and, you know, yes, I'm a McKenzie therapist. I, you know, would have gone straight to my biomechanical um, diagnosis that, oh, it's a lateral shift. I need to do these side glass. I still did those. Mm -hmm. But for, um, but the whole logic or the reasoning behind that was very different than what I um, did. And so that that would be my acute experience. Um, with chronic patients, um, you know, every patient is so unique and the story they bring to your table is very unique. And I feel like with um, my chronic pain patients, there are three things I um, um, work with. And one of them is helping them understand their meaning of pain. Like, what does this pain really mean to you and that mm -hmm. that may take some time sometimes in getting to the meaning of pain and we, we typically don't get it like in the first session or so but but definitely we are leaning towards that so that's my first thing the second most important thing I do is I um, help them understand why it is important to do self-care and self-management and self-compassion so that's my second most important piece and the third is um what can you do to make this okay? Like the active therapies, you know, what you've told me in the past is um, how active therapies are uh, empowering versus the passive therapies are entrapping. And I love that. I, I use that all the time. And uh, th that brings us to that other comment of the manual therapy and all that. So to me, it's like, what can you do to your for yourself to make yourself a better person eventually. So, you know, so that's what I, I those are my three main, um, you know, spaces that I can help them move. And sometimes they get stuck in different places and that's mm -hmm. when, um, and, and of course, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of reading on um, ACT, um, acceptance <laughs> and commitment therapy. So the value-based um, therapy is like, you know, it's not about goals. It's about, you know, turn on this internal GPS. And that was from Joe Tata's book, um, Radical Relief. I really enjoyed his book. And he talks about that you have an internal GPS in your system and can we turn it on? And that I, I love that value piece. Um, so we were, we're changing our uh, MAP curriculum also to um, make that the most important part of, uh, of the curriculum that, you know, self-compassion, um, value-based therapy, and, and then go into changing your behavior. Yeah, a lot of unpacking on there uh, for, for sure. There was a couple of things I wanted to point out, though. One was 
I loved how you were talking about your own construction and how Ravi, who's a fantastic guy, folks, <laughs> Ravi's awesome. So, oh, he so, is. Uh, he's yeah. amazing. So don't think that there's, you know, he's such a low-key <laughs> guy. And this sounds like, you know, your standard kind of marital squabbles or whatever. But you framed it as an inciting. Uh, you didn't say this, but I, uh, that there was like the trigger, right? If people always, because that's, if we're tr moving away from this kind of cause and effect thinking with pain, I kind of view these things as, again, it's like a fire. You have the physical stressors, you had the emotional stressors, had all this stuff building up and up and up. And then just like that, when you have that environment that's ready, all you need is the inciting event. So it's not necessarily the cause. It's the trigger to when that kind of that pain fire ignites. And I, that becomes really important because then when we're looking from a day-to-day -day basis, the question is, well, how do you sort of make your environment healthy so it's less amenable to a fire, right? So why do we get forest fires in Oregon in the summertime? Because we, don't heat, ha yeah. we have no rain, right? Now, mm -hmm. so if what we want to do is we want to create an environment where our, you know, our bodies are limber and, and uh, resonant, fluid-filled. I guess we're not like edematous, but you're thinking like, you know, damp and they're and they're growing and they're thriving and they got good soil and the green leaves are blooming. We've got good weather and things like that. We want to make sure that we have oxygen, but not too much. And we just want to make sure that the environment is key. And that comes that day-to-day -day piece. And then when something occurs and we actually experience pain, it's not, again, not a cause, but it's a trigger or inciting event. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, a really big piece. The other thing I really like what you're saying is, is um, where you're talking about the meaning for your clients. Again, such a, such a huge thing because everybody's pain means something different. And while, again, pain is constructed, how we perceive it is in this process, a narrative fashion. We see it as A leads to B leads to C. What's the meaning of our pain story? And once we identify what that story is, then we can start helping the people to deconstruct a little bit or at least to revise their meaning in such a way that is less uh, threatening, less dangerous, more um, empowering to the individual that pulls these outside influences a little bit in, that are important to not only pain but your overall health and to the picture in general. So I really, really enjoy that kind of perspective on there. And then finally, um, you touched on ACT, which I think is a, a such a powerful toolkit. And that kind of comes back to the point is, you know, it's it's not either or, it's and. And there's, you know, there's the values worked in ACT, but there's also a whole skill set that goes along with it, I mean, diffusing and um, values-based exercises, the bullseye technique and things. And what I love about those is you can pull those techniques into a pain-centric practice pretty easily if you're already competent into them. Um, yeah, so a lot, a lot of different tool sets on, on there as well. So there's, there's, there's a comment I had written over here on for ACT. It says, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm still absorbing it. I, I can't say I am very, very proficient in the ACT um, work, but I'm, I'm working. That's, that's my 2021 uh, area, but I'm, I'm learning a lot. And, um, and then the difference between ACT and CBT is also very mm -hmm. interesting is like, it's not about changing the thoughts and it's about changing the behavior more than anything else. So yeah, um, yeah it's, 
it, it's it's really fun. Well, it is exciting, and and um, if we have a mental health specialist that gets on, oh, act as you know, like second or third wave or whatever wave it is. It's just semantics, folks. It's just language. Third wave. Yeah. It's third wave. But uh, um, that that is really key, and and uh, what I'm hoping to do. This is not act specifically, but I have been looking a lot at this behavioral belief interplay thing. And you can turn that into awareness and automaticity, right? So there's this awareness piece and then there's this automatic function. And we have typically, in a lot of our talks and presentations, have really focused on that awareness side. Um, but the automatic side, that the action side, is so crucial. And again, there's, this, there's these potentials now where, you know, that old saying of fake it until you make it. Mm -hmm. If you act in such a way that your body feels safe, the brain should follow. Awesome. So like we know that the brain can, can conscientiously direct the body, but that requires a lot of, a lot of uh, reserve. It takes a huge amount of energy from a metabolic standpoint, which is why we have all these innate ingrained kind of automatic behaviors. But if you just use that consciousness in such a way that we're now directing into more of an action, like behaving in a way that is congruent in an act standpoint would be congruent with your values. I would say mm -hmm. from a pain standpoint, you say congruent with feeling safe and strong. Mm -hmm. The brain should then follow. And my suspicion is on that, not we're probably have to end this soon, but my suspicion is on that is that when we look at a lot of the effects when it comes to exercise, like we know exercise, when it comes to low back pain is the number one evidence-based modality to prevent future recurrences of back pain. It's pretty mixed picture for initial occurrences, but when we know for, for recurrence with someone who has an episode, exercise is currently is, is the best kind of therapy that we have. And people will tend to default that where it's the exercise must be making the muscles strong and is doing all this stuff. And it does, but it's also doing something else. Because if you're moving and you're feeling strong and you're developing those muscles, your brains and beliefs align with that as well. So now if you're getting a twinge in your back, it's no longer, oh, I have a degenerative disc that is causing and it's getting worse. It's like, oh, that's twinge in my back, but man, those muscles are strong. I'm okay. I don't have to necessarily um, focus on it as much or, oh, there's a twinge and maybe I need to stretch before I do my next squat mm -hmm. or, or whatever. But it's... Um, it's a fascinating thing. So I will be interested to hear on your journeys over the next years because that is, oddly enough, is something that I have been looking into for 2021 and trying to pull that into more talks and things. So very cool. Uh, though, I'm just going to say one mm -hmm. thing. The word exercise um, does not go very well with a lot of our patients. So I have replaced that word with meaningful movement. So what is meaningful to you? I mean, if there is a dancer in, in my as my patient, I am not going to ask them to go to the gym and do 20 squats. Um, that dancing would be the prescription or if there's a gardener I would make sure that they are able to garden in a safe way so that that word exercise is you know I mean yes we are exercise you know we are the movement specialist but we're moving that term from exercise to movement meaningful movement is my thing M&M no I, and I like that because you're making it specific to the audience because the other thing is if you have somebody who comes in who maybe is an athlete that meaningful movement would be exercise or yeah. um, what I also like, uh, uh, so outside of the whole pain world, one of my goals this year is to get strong, like physically strong. Like, so I'm really enjoying it, actually. It's kind of fun. But the, 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 the person who I'm sort of following this really, really simple program with, he doesn't like the word workout. He's like, what are you doing with the workout? You're, what are you working out? 
what are you, are you draining yourself? You should feel better at the end of, of, of your training period than, than having something out of your body. And so he, he emphasizes the word of training. And I, I like that. That's, I, I like that better, I think, than exercise or working out or kind of these, these draining terms. So I, I totally agree with you. And I totally, uh, we, we need to frame it in the language that our clients understand. And again, that, that is really emphasizing that it is safe, that is empowering, that is in their circle of control. And ultimately, is, it builds them up rather than pulls and tears them down. Another word is relapse. Um, James oh. Stark, well, our friend from Michigan, he he said the word setback. And I mm -hmm. love that so much yeah. better than relapse. It's like, oh, it's just a setback. We'll catch up soon, you know? So Yeah, you know. yeah. We should because, do an episode actually just on phrasing. That would be oh, a, that would, be a oh, I, I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. <laughs> All right. Well, Sharon, it is fantastic to have you on the show again. Is there any specific place that people can find you if they would like to reach out and talk to you? Uh, you can just reach my email, I guess, esprasad at samhealth.org, S-P-R-A-S-A-D, at samhealth.org. I don't do any Twitter or anything, and Facebook is a personal page, so <laughs> you can be my personal <laughs> friend. I'm okay with that. But well, and I, and I, will, I will say, Yasharna is, is um, very open to working and to hearing uh, and very collegial versus some of us who are hermits and sit in our caves and try to not talk to people as often as probably oh should. definitely i would love to hear from anyone i love to chat and i i have a commute so i can always chat with you going in or coming out back um i'm happy to do that anytime. all right all right well thank you again for coming on the show for everybody else out there this is straight shot health talk i'm your host dr kevin kukar with my fabulous guest dr sharna prasad and until next time stay well thank you kevin bye-bye